Life today. Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is Close That Gate, which hopefully will become clear as we talk a little bit about this. Uh, a lot in Scripture is about cities, about gates. They're walled cities. And so the walled cities, the, the wall is to keep people out, but the gate is to let people in. And then you have gates, and generally the gates are open by day because people want to go out of the city and pasture their flocks and do business and trade and whatever. And uh, then they're closed by night because everybody should come into the city and just be in the city together. And so you need to have uh, guards, gatekeepers, watchmen, and so forth who are uh, at the gate to keep some people from coming in, let others in, and so forth. You have gatekeepers. And another interesting thing about the uh, biblical city is that uh, at the gate is where judging would happen. I don't know if it's just because that's where all the people would be gathered. You know, it was sort of a, a place where people would be. But, but you'd think there are other places, isn't there the market, aren't there other places, you know, by the temple or somewhere, but, uh, but the judging would happen at the gate. That's where someone would sit in judgment, so two people would come and say, well, I have a problem, and this would be resolved by a judge at the gate. So these gates are interesting, and they're talked about a lot in Scripture, and Swedenborg says, as some of you might have guessed if you're familiar with Swedenborg, that they have a greater meaning than just gates and cities and keepers and guards and so forth. Uh, they actually have something to do with the way that our minds work and they reveal something to us about our relationship to the spiritual world even while we're still living here. So if that's at all enticing to your friends, I do uh, invite you to join us for this uh, topic and let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth, the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us tonight, Lord. Please open these pages in our minds and hearts to show us who you are and what you would have us be in the world in your name. Amen. Such a great pleasure to be with you, all those lovely people here in the room, and sending love to those of you who are out there online and getting the audio feed. It's a, such a blessing to be with you. So what I thought, how we might approach this, this, um, this Bible study, you know, some people ask about the Bible study. So where are you in the Bible, you know? Um, well, we're kind of all over the map every night, aren't we? We very, very seldom just do sort of one story from beginning to end. It's fun when we do. Uh, but for some reason, I'm more drawn at this point to these uh, studies of themes. You know, I think so much emerges of the meaning when you look at it and you contrast with this, this with that, and there's another passage and there's another angle to it. What are these judges doing? Who is that? And, you know, what's going on with these gates? What are, what are we supposed to learn from these gates? Uh, so let's start in Genesis. Uh, Genesis 22. We really are going to go from Genesis to Revelation tonight. And uh, what I've done is just <clears throat> assembled a collection of passages. I guess I'll frame this a little bit to say that 
basically the idea that I get from Swedenborg's works is that basically our mind is a city, particularly our rational mind, like a, a high part of our mind that's able to see things and that can connect with heaven and so on. A rational mind is like a city, and that city has two gates or gateways. It has a gateway to hell, and it has a gateway to heaven. And an interesting aspect of this in the way that Swedenborg describes it is that hell is not actually ever, ever allowed in our city. It's never allowed in, but it comes and stands in the gate and communicates with us, you know, sends in messages and so forth from the gateway. It's not, it's not allowed in. And heaven is on the other side, you know, sending messages in. Uh, but we have our own little sovereign territory there. And, uh, and so <clears throat> uh, what this has to do with in our minds is an interesting question. And let's look at Genesis 22 and start with a prophecy. Uh, oh, let's start in 15 to 17. We're starting with our old friend Abraham, who we've been talking about a few other times. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. When you're the Lord, you can swear by yourself, right? I mean, <laughs> you don't swear by anybody else. Right, okay, go on. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. You may remember that story of Isaac where, you know, God asked him to sacrifice his only son, who long awaited, much sought for son. And, uh, and Abraham did not withhold the son, but the Lord didn't in the final uh, result ask for that sacrifice to occur. And look at verse 17 there. Blessing I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Okay, now there's an interesting little linguistic point here. Uh, for, but first of all, let's talk about, so that last phrase, can you give me that last phrase again? Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Oh, interesting. You will possess the gate. So if you have two gates in your city and one is the gate where the enemies come, you will possess, whatever that means, that gate. Uh, you will have some kind of power or control over that gate of the enemies. The little linguistic point is that in the old King James, uh, instead of descendants, it just uses the singular word seed. Your seed, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Singular, his, your seed. Uh, I want you to maybe put your finger in there in the Bible, and let's go to the other end of the Bible, through the four Gospels, through Acts and Romans and Corinthians to Galatians. I want to go to Galatians chapter 3. And look at this astonishing statement that Paul makes in Galatians 3.16. It seems somehow much like something Swedenborg would say. 
Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. See there, they had to translate it seed, singular. Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Oh, thank you. Fascinating. So Paul said the reason it says only one seed is that it's talking about Christ. You know, it's a prediction of the Lord, the coming Messiah, that he will possess the gate of his enemies. And, you know, we're told by Swedenborg that the, one of the reasons the Lord came into the world was to gain control over the hells. He got possession of the gate of his enemies. Uh, and so it's partly a prediction about the Lord himself, but also about something that we go through. Look at Genesis 24. Let's turn to the right on our transect here. And uh, 24, all the way at verse 60, very long chapter there. And uh, Rebecca gets blessed here. And what the, what's the nature of her blessing? And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. Uh -huh. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Interesting. And so again, in the old King James, let your seed possess the gate of those that hate them. So this is some kind of great thing. that If you can possess that gate. So the image is they're not allowed in the city because the guards, the gatekeepers, would not let them in. But they can come right up there, you know, right to the gate. There's the enemy right there at the gate. Uh, but if you possess that, you know, you're in control of that, like... Her descendants, her seed, will possess the gate of those who hate them. So it's kind of an awful image in a way of having this gate and people who hate you right there at the gate. Well, welcome to the human experience. You know, that's, that's what we're all going through. We, we, have that, we have that gate and hell is right there. Uh, you know, the gate of the enemy is right there. Let's look at 28 verse 17. Keep turning to the right. Oh, this is Jacob's ladder, of course. He see, has this dream and he sees the angels going up and down on this ladder. And I just wanted to read this verse 17 here. As Jacob woke out of his sleep, what did he say about that? And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Oh, so there's a gate of enemies, but there's also a gate of heaven. There's two gates, and we'll see in these gate passages that there are some positive ones, there's some negative ones. So both of these things have a gate. It's the gate of heaven. So heaven can come right up there to the one gate. The enemies come up to the other gate, uh, but not allowed in. Uh, it's an interesting image. Let's turn to the right and go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 16, hmm. verse 18, this has to do with those judges. There are judges in the gates. Okay, 16, verse 18, what does it say? You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Yeah, 
So right from the get-go, when you create these judges, they, where they do their work is in the gates. The judge is in the gates. To cut to the chase, I think part of why this is, is that if you have a gate, and if hell has access to you, don't you need to be able to judge what's from hell and what's from heaven? You know what I mean? Isn't that the place where judgment becomes crucial? Doesn't really matter in the marketplace, but out there where the end, you know, that's where you need to judge. The judging needs to take place at that gateway there. Uh, and look at Deuteronomy 28, which is a whole chapter full of unbelievable, a few blessings and a whole lot of curses. You know, some, <laughs> some blessings if you do right, and a whole lot of curses if you don't do right. And um, one of the things that happens a lot in Scripture about the gates is that there's an enemy force that comes and there's a siege. It happens a lot. They're trying to starve people out, cut off their water supply or whatever. And this is kind of an image of what hell tries to do to us at certain points in our spiritual life. And look at verse 52 in Deuteronomy 28 there. This is about the, the, uh, a nation coming against you from afar, a fierce nation and so on. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. Yeah, there's not just one sort of enemy gate. Like the bad thing will happen if you don't follow the Lord's commandments is that the enemy will be at all your gates. You know, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be surrounded. Um, okay, that's nice and scary. Uh, let's turn to the right and go to Joshua, which comes up right away. And in Joshua, there's this story about Jericho. Jericho is a walled city. And these people, these spies from the children of Israel go in there. Jericho is held by other people at this time. And the children of Israel have just come into the land. And they send spies in and they go to this harlot's house whose name is Rahab. And they stayed there. And then uh, people from the king came looking for these spies who had come in there. And uh, look at, uh, let's say, let's start at verse... Five there. Of which chapter? Chapter two, I'm so sorry. Joshua chapter yeah. two. Two, five. And it happened as the gate was being shut. When oh, it, okay. When it was dark. When it was dark. That's when you shut your gate, when it's dark. So you shut your gate. So it's dark. Whoop, they shut the gate, right? And the men went out. Ah. Where the men went, I do not know. This is the story that Rahab is saying. This is not true. This isn't what happened. But this is the story that Rahab is telling these people. The, oh, they, they slipped out as they were shutting the gate. They, they, they got away. Uh, pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Mm. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Yes. Right? So go out and chase, but shut the gate, you know. Don't, don't want to let them back in. So that's just a little bit about the gate and the fact that the gate is closed at night. 
Let's turn to the right and you'll go through Judges and get to 1 Samuel. I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 10. Survey of gate-related passages here. Trying to get some understanding. I want to go to 10 verse 8. 2 Samuel 10 verse 8. This was interesting because this seems to talk about having a battle right in the gate. Right in the gate is where there's a battle. Look at verse 8 there. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth-Rehob, Ishtob, and Ma'akah were by themselves in the field. Yes, so there they are, right, right there. And, and so part of where the, it's lined up for battle is right in the gate. And that would be, you know, because of this point of contact. There's heaven on one side and the one gate, and there's hell on the, on the other gate, the enemies. And that's where this battle is going to take place. Look at 2 Samuel 18. These gates would actually have two pieces to them that would open, I think, like doors or gates that we know. Look at 2 Samuel 18, verse 24, and you'll notice there's a watchman in this story, too. Now David was sitting between the two gates, Uh and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Mm. Then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. That's right. And so David is sitting there between the two gates, and the, and the watchman goes up, you know, over the gate. There's some level there on the wall. Because one of the things, friends, sometimes you see gates in our world... To me, they always look a little odd. I don't mean to insult anybody, but you, when you have gates, just like in the middle of nowhere, there's no fence, there's nothing, there's just a gate, uh, you know. Um, but in ancient times, there was always a fence. There was a wall, you know, and the gate was in the wall. And part of what's interesting about that to me is that, you know, before you had walls, you didn't have gates. And part of what the wall means, we did a whole Bible study on this a couple of years ago, the wall means the literal sense of scripture. That's what the wall is. So there's something about a wall that lets you have a gate. If you don't have a wall, you don't have a gate. You know, then there's like, well, where's the difference between me and hell? I don't even know. But, but the word helps you to understand, oh no, that's the enemy. That's, uh, that's the enemy in the gate and I'll put a watchman there and so forth. They'll look uh, out and see what's going on. A lot of passages in scripture about about watchmen, gatekeepers, and that kind of thing. Uh, let's go to 2 Kings. So turn to the right. We'll go through 1 Kings to 2 Kings. 19, making great progress. 19, you may not agree. 19, verses 32 to 34. There's a passage I love and we've covered in Bible study before. We'll just read this one little bit about it. Uh, because the king of Assyria wants to attack the children of Israel, and this is what the Lord says about it. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, there, nor come before it with shield, 
nor build a siege mound against it. A siege mound, great way to get over the wall, build a siege mound. But no, they're not going to do that. They're not going to build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Yes, indeed. So the Lord is going to protect this city and the king of Assyria, which has to do with false reasonings and so forth, is not going to come in. It won't come in. It won't shoot an arrow there. There'll be no siege mount. By the way he came, he's going to go back the same way and he shall not come in the city because the Lord's going to defend the city. Now, something remarkable that Swedenborg says about these passages, which really kind of frankly blew my mind a little bit when I read them the other day, is that uh, from what I gather, in no one, we, we all have a rational mind, which is a, quite a high part of our spirit or our mind, and in no one, is evil allowed in that mind. It's never in anyone allowed into that. In other words, you'll see again and again in Swedenborg's works, he is very struck, I think, when, he, when his spiritual eyes are open and he's in the spiritual world and he's talking to these people that these horrible devils, you know, he's, he's always surrounded by devils and Satans and people like that, and they all possess a rationality. Their rationality is intact. They may act insane. You know, when they're in their evil or whatever, they're insane. But he can always appeal to them. They have these great conversations, and they realize, oh, well, I was being quite insane right now. You know, and they can lift up into their rational... Like, like the evil doesn't touch that rationality. There's a rationality in there that doesn't get... That the Lord never allows that king of Assyria into that city. He defends it for the Lord's sake because that's a point of contact between the Lord and us. It's a basic human thing that we have something akin to rationality. Now, the problem is in evil spirits that, you know, as soon as their evils get activated, they go back down in their insanity and they say what they were just saying is nuts and they say Swedenborg's out of his mind or, you know, whatever. But they're all able, that, that top floor of the building wasn't gutted, they, they still have it to eternity. <coughs> That, that, so it's an interesting teaching. It's not just in good people. In, in no one is, and Swedenborg says this rather striking phrase to me, if evil ever was allowed in our cities, it would be all over with us. Now, Swedenborg's perfectly capable of saying, oh, we would be hell, or we'd be hell in least form, or we'd be profaners in some place worse than hell, or something like that. He doesn't say that. He said it would be all over, you know, with us. I think there's some terrible outcome that's much worse than just being an evil spirit in hell uh, that would happen if that was allowed into that mind. The Lord keeps that city safe so it doesn't, it can't come in there. Even if, even if everything else is, is uh, bad, I know, good friends, that this is, it seems like quite a contradiction with last week's topic where we talked about a city where there were only 10 righteous people and everybody else in there was evil. So it's interesting. I don't know how to reconcile the two except that I think this particular city is talking about the city of the rational mind. I think that was a different city last time. But there's a, a high part of our mind where that's just not allowed in. But you speak to the enemies in the gate because that rational mind can hear voices from hell, it can hear voices from heaven, it can sit in the gate and judge between them. 
you can say, oh, that's from hell. Oh, this is good, you know? And that's a high part in us that the Lord protects. All right, let's turn to the right. I know you're dying to go to Nehemiah, aren't you, good friends? Let's go through First and Second Chronicles, through Ezra, to Nehemiah. We actually have three things we want to read tonight from Nehemiah. Nice. Doesn't happen every Bible study, does it? Nice. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 10, and our dear reader will have some interesting oh, proper nouns to deal with her. She always likes a challenge. <laughs> Nehemiah 6, verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was Wouldn't it be secret... great to be Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel? I don't know. <laughs> I just think that's cool. Go on. Uh, Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. Oh. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Now see there, the temple is within the city, but even in the temple they want to close the doors. It's not the same as the gates, but you see it's a similar image, and that at night they're coming to kill you. So, you know, close that up at night so that you'll be safe. Uh, look at Nehemiah 7, verses 1 to 3, just shortly after that. And here we have to talk about the wall and so forth. Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, mm -hmm. when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. Gatekeepers, yes, go on. That I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Aha, uh -huh. and listen to this instruction. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. Interesting. Don't open the gates until the sun is hot. It's not just at dawn. Wait till the sun is hot to open those gates, okay? And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Oh. And appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Yes, there you go, a watch station and the house, so it's going to be guarded, right? So you have, what, you have gatekeepers, watchers, guards, and so forth, and don't open those gates until the sun is hot, and talk about shutting the doors and barring them, you know, like to reinforce it so you can't break down that, that door, even if there's a siege or something. Turn to the right and go to Nehemiah 11. And uh, let's look at this little interesting detail in 1119 about how many gatekeepers there were. Moreover, the gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brethren who kept the gates were 172. Oh, so that's quite a few gatekeepers. I mean, this was an important function. You had a lot of gatekeepers, so you'd switch them out, and they, you know, they, would, they would watch the gate and who's coming and going and so forth. Very important. Okay, let's turn to the right and go through Job and get to the Psalms. Psalm 69. There's so many passages we could read. There's just a lot of, a lot of I think there's, I don't know, there's well over 200 passages about gates. I think it might be over 300. I'm not sure. 69. Let's read verses 9 to 12. Now listen to this. 
Do you notice, the, do you, do you, can you tell who this is talking about? Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Oh, okay. Now, you can just stay there. I'm going to go to John 2. Is that it? John 2, 17. Uh, the Lord went into the temple with the, with the whip, right? And his disciples remembered that it had been written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So they remembered this very scripture about that zeal. Okay, so this is fulfilled in Jesus. So we're thinking about Jesus when we're reading this psalm. Okay, zeal for your house has, has eaten me up. Go on. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Mm. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. Ah. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. And this, listen to this. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. Yep. Isn't that a picture? You got people sitting in the gate, you know, they're sort of insulting and mocking or what, you know, they're in the gate there. They, they're, they're those who sit in the gate, the drunkards there, are speaking against the Lord, Right? So that's the gate of the enemy. This is the bad gate. And that's the sort of noise that's coming through that gate. Uh, Psalm 118, verses 19 to 20. Psalm 118. Mm. Oh, let's read 18, because that's awfully good. 118, 18. Let's start there. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Mm, nice. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Ah, so there's a bad gate with enemies, but there's also a gate of the righteous. And we heard about the gate of heaven. You know, so this is where I think Swedenborg gets this idea of the two gates. Look at 127, Psalm 127. Oh, let's go crazy and read the whole psalm. Mm. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Yeah, I like that detail there because we're talking about cities and guarding cities and watching out over the gates. And uh, unless the Lord is with the person who's watching, uh, it's not going to work. Go on. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Mm. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Mm. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Oh, interesting. So th this is a picture of someone with a lot of children. You're very happy if you have a lot of children. And this empowers you to speak with your enemies in the gate. Now, Swedenborg would say that your children are those things 
about truth and love that you've learned, you know, like if you have a lot of knowledge about truth, a lot of knowledge about love, then that image, Swedenborg says, is an image of being fearless about evil. You know, you're not worried about it. There's a horrible enemy in the gate. Oh, I'll go talk to him. Just walk right up to them. Say, okay, what are you, like an Assyrian or something? You know, <laughs> you know? and uh, they, they'll speak with the enemies in the gate. Isn't that like that, that seed will possess the gate of the enemies? Right? That, that kind of language is very similar. This idea of having this strength. There's a gate with enemies, but it's not a cause of concern to you. You walk right up and talk to the enemies because you know enough truth, you know enough about love that you know how to deal with those people and you're not concerned. It does make me think about Swedenborg who, who was, said he had just amazing protection from evil spirits. And so he would be with the worst. He was often surrounded by thousands of them. Uh, he, he spent lots of time in that gate with the enemies, you know, and speaking with the enemies in the gate right there. Uh, how about Psalm 147? And let's look at verses 12 to 14 because this talks about strengthening your gates. So I just like this imagery here. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. Oh, wouldn't that mean like if you had stronger bars for your gates, they're not going to get through. You know, if you close that, they're not, they're not going to break it down. They're not going to come in there. He's strengthened the bars of your gates. Yes. He has blessed your children within you. Now, what is it with the children and the gates? Like we've, two of these passages in a row have children and gates side by side there. It's interesting. Is that about protection and so on? And I just like this phrase in verse 14. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. Yes, the finest wheat. Peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. That too has a, has a beautiful spiritual meaning about being full of love and so forth. So, uh, he strengthened the bar of your gates. Good, good, good. Turn to the right. You come right to the Proverbs there. Let's go to Proverbs 14, verse 19. Listen to this. This is so interesting, I think. 14 verse 19. How does this read in your translation, dear reader? The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates uh, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. That's right. The evil bow before the good. The good actually have power over the evil. The evil bow before the good and the wicked bow at the gates of the righteous. Now, this is an advanced stage of your regeneration, isn't it? Where, you know, you, like you go up to speak with your enemy in the gate and they're, you know, they're, they're very humble, you know. Uh, they're not all hostile and coming at you or something. They, the wicked bow at the gates of the righteous. Isn't it interesting? And all these gate passages are like about this point of contact between what is wicked and what is good and the, the, right, the gate of heaven, the righteousness on the other side and everything. Really interesting. Okay, let's turn to the right and go through a few different things. Get to Isaiah, chapter 26. We're making good progress, friends. Not too many to go here. But I, I don't know. I just love this kind of comparison of passages. Uh, let's read 26 verses 1 and 2. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. 
We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Uh -huh. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. Yeah, that's the good gate, right? And this righteous nation that keeps the truth, there's li living a good life and having the truth will come in through, through those gates. That'll be a good, a good influence there. Uh, how about Isaiah 28, verses 5 to 6? In that day, the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Ooh, you like that? Mm, turn back the battle at the gate. And sitting in judgment is right there next to the gate, isn't it? Those who, you know, justice for those who sit in judgment and strength for those who turn back the battle at the gate. It's trying to come in and the Lord gives you the power to just push that, push that back. Um, that's a great thing. Oh, let's go to Ezekiel. So go to the right through Jeremiah and we'll get to Ezekiel. Chapter 11, I'm headed for. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. And dear reader has some more proper nouns here that I'm delighted to see. And uh, we have uh, 11 verses 1 to 4. How about that? Ooh. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, hmm. which faces eastward. As luck would have it, yes. <laughs> And there at the door of the gate were 25 men, oh. among whom I saw Jeazaniah, <laughs> the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. Huh. So this is, this door, so this is the Lord's house. Uh, Ezekiel's actually seeing this in the spirit, right? And at the door of the gate, there are 25 men, princes of the people. What is the nature of these people who are at the gate? Is this the good gate? It's the gate. It's the eastward gate of the Lord's house. Should be good. Who is there? Who are these people? And what does he hear from the Lord? And he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel in this city. Ah, you see, bad advice coming in through that enemy gate, right? Bad advice at the gate. 25 people right there giving you bad advice. They're counseling wickedness. They're, you know, it's like a picture of those evil spirits. They're not allowed all the way into your rational mind, but they can stand right there at the gate and sort of trash talk and try to get you to do bad things. All right, go on. They say, the time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron and we are the meat. Yeah, we shouldn't. Yeah, this is not the time to build houses. And what is, uh, what is Ezekiel supposed to do about this? Therefore prophesy against them. Prophesy, prophesy, O son of man. That's right. That's what you got to do. <laughs> prophesy against those 25 no-goods who are counseling wicked counsel. They're right there in this wonderful place of the east gate of the house of the Lord. Should be fabulous. But they're counseling all this wickedness and mischief and iniquity and everything. And, uh, and saying, oh, it's not time to do this and that. Bad advice coming through that gate. And so what Ezekiel has to do, go speak with his enemies in the gate, right? Go talk to them. 
prophesy against them. Say, hey, that's not good what they're saying. That's not the truth. Let's look at Ezekiel 46. Mm. It's amazing, the coherence, really, think about it for a second, friends. The coherence of Scripture from one book to another. Really? Did all these scores and scores of writers all get together and say, hey, guess what? Let's all use the word gate in this particular way. And when we mention this, why don't we also mention children? You know, that would be good. And why don't we have one gate be like this and another gate be like this? No. It, you know, it's some inspiration beyond what any human could coordinate. This is over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years that this is written. Look at Ezekiel 46. Let's just look at verses 1 and 2 there. Thus says the Lord God, the gateway of the inner court that faces toward the east shall be shut the six working days. Interesting. Six working days, you know, and then the seventh is the Sabbath, right? So during the six working days, you keep that east gate shut, okay? But on the Sabbath, it shall be opened, and on the day of the new moon, it shall be opened. Oh, so on special occasions on that Sabbath, which is the rest, the seventh day, then you open that this is a good gate now. You open the good gate, right? Keep going. Yes. The prince shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gateway from the outside. I wonder who that means. Who could that be? Some positive being who comes in from the east. and have, I think it's the Lord. Go on. And stand by the gatepost. The priests shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offerings. Mm. He shall worship at the threshold of the gate. Right there. See, wasn't that also a place? Wasn't the gate a place where you had battle? Right? Wasn't, wasn't that a place where there were difficult things and people advising wickedness and so on? But what is the Lord going to do? He's going to offer worship right at the gate there, at the threshold of the gate. Fascinating. Then he shall go out, but the gate shall not be shut until evening. Until evening. So he's going to go out. He'll come in. He'll do the worship right there at the gate. And then he leaves, but you leave it open until the evening. And then what do you do at the evening? Then you close it because we're going to enter another week. you got the six days of the work. You keep that one closed, and then it opens on the seventh day. Hmm, what does it mean, friends? All right, let's... Uh, now, what I'd like you to do, actually, is turn to the right till you hit Matthew, and then we're going to back up to the left to Zechariah. You just go through Malachi and Zechariah. It's the easiest way to find Zechariah, I think. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 8. Look at verse 16 there. Just a nice, another little statement. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Oh, Truth, justice, and peace. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? And it has something to do with speaking the truth to your neighbors. And isn't there that sense of the, that's where judgment takes place. Judgment and justice are right there in the gates. And that's where you speak the truth and the peace in your gates. Oh, let's have a look at that next verse if you have it there. good. Let friend. none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. Yeah. And do not love a false oath. For all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. That's right. Now, the Lord is really perfect love. He doesn't really hate anything, but uh, they are things that are against the Lord. They're things that hate the Lord. 
And so this is the opposite of having evil in your heart and having a false oath, evil and falsity. Hello? Look at that. There they are, right in the same verse. But what you're supposed to do instead of that is speak the truth to your neighbor and execute this truth, justice, and peace in your gates. All right. Okay, let's go to Matthew now. Turn to the right. Go to Matthew 16. We've really only got three more passages here to look at. Matthew 16. Um, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? He asked who other people say he is. They say, John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets or something. And then in verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, and so this makes Jesus divine, the Son of the living God, uh, that you are the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah, Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to that statement, like Peter is embodied in that statement at this moment. What does he say? Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Which means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Yes, the language of the old King James, the gates of hell. That's right. The gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. You'll speak with your enemies in the gate. It, was not that it doesn't say there wouldn't be enemies, uh, but you'll speak with them, you know, the, the, and they, they will not prevail. They will not win. They may try to attack and so on, but they won't win. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. How Swedenborg explains that verse is that it's not that Peter as a person somehow has this amazing spiritual power, but that Peter there represents that faith, the faith that Jesus is divine. That faith, the gates of hell will not prevail, would love to, but won't prevail against that truth. And isn't it interesting to think about, um, you know, didn't it say in that psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it? Didn't the Lord say here, I will build my church? You know, he said, I will build, you know, the Lord will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And finally, uh, let's turn to the back to Revelation because we might as well go from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation 3, this is more about a door, but I think it's very important here, 3, 19, and 20. Okay. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. We had to get the R word in here tonight, <laughs> repent. So the Lord loves us, and as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens. So be zealous and repent. And then what does he say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, I think that's the positive gate, isn't it? Isn't that the good door? That, uh, but the Lord doesn't open that door. Wow, it's like we control the door of our city. We control the door to hell. We control the door to the Lord. The Lord can knock there and invite us in, but we need to do something, which I think would be repenting, to open that door and let the Lord come in and 
and dine with us and all that. And finally, Revelation 21. You can feel it coming, can't you, friends? 21, 25. They're talking about um, he sees this holy city and there's no temple in it because the Lord God and the Lamb are its temple. And uh, let's read 24 and 25 there in Revelation 21. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And mm. the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Mm. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Ah, so it's not shut by day and there's no night. So the gates are always open because you don't have night. So there's not going to be marauders coming at night. You don't have to do this close it at, at night kind of thing because there's not going to be night. Again, a very advanced state. So what can we say about this? Let's uh, get a very simple graphic uh, going here. Uh, you who are just getting the audio are not missing a thing here. Uh, I just put a circle on there with the word city in it. And I put a gate at the top and a gate at the bottom with sort of two, you know, doors that uh, open up, these gates that can close. And a gate at the bottom, I meant to represent the gate, the, the enemies in the gate, the wicked, you know, who want to come in this way. And then the gate at the top, the gate to the Lord, the gate that's opened on that seventh day and stays open till evening. Or that gate in the New Jerusalem that's open and never needs to be closed as opposed to gates where it said all your gates will be besieged. Like if you don't obey, you know, hell will be coming at you from, from all sides, not just one side. So here are some thoughts about that, good friends. Um, in ourselves, I would say that we don't realize, for a long time, I don't think, we don't realize that we have a gate to hell. Uh, we hear these things in our minds. We think they are ourselves. They just say, I want this, or I'm thinking that, or whatever, you know? And we just think very little of it to begin with. But, you know, they, they may be saying awful things about other people or telling us to do whatever. We just think it's ourselves. This is my own, my own thought, and it's our own private thing. Who cares? It doesn't hurt anybody. I'm just thinking it to myself. And we don't see the distinction we don't realize that that's not in us. It cannot be in us. It can't be. He protects the city. That will not be allowed to come in. No arrow will be fired in there. Nothing. Ever. Doesn't matter if we go to the lowest hell to eternity. That will not come into the city. The city is sacrosanct. It's protected by the Lord. Um, how do we gradually... And the kind of things that you're hearing from there, you think at first the things that are coming through your hell gate, so to speak, are uh, things, you know, in your youth or whatever, in your folly, if you ever had one. I hope you didn't, good friends, but I may have at one time. But um, the kind of things that you hear through that gate, uh, you think are friendly. They tell you fun things, things that might be amusing or they suggest things that might be pleasurable for you, or, or stuff like, you know. So you think, well, they, this, this is friendly, or it's coming from myself. Or, you know, at first you think it's coming from yourself. If you think it's not yourself, you think, well, it's friendly. It's helping me. It's giving me interesting, good ideas. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's right. We could get really quiet 
shaving foam, and then while they're lying in bed, spray it on the other side. So when they turn their head, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? You know, they they give you helpful ideas like that. But you have to get really quiet shaving foam. I'm just I'm just telling you, it has to be really quiet. Um, <laughs> not that I have ever participated in anything like that, friends. Um, <laughs> I deny that completely. The um, <laughs> So they're giving you this bad advice, this wicked counsel in the gate, right? They're telling you things, they're suggesting things. And we often, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's good. I don't know what's bad. I just had this idea. I had this impulse. Oh, I think I'll just do this. Oh, I think I'll just do that. And we don't know where the advice is coming from. But over time, with the help of the word, which is that wall, over the, over the course of time, you start by the grace of God to be able to identify. See, how do you tell? In, in physical direction, you say, oh, well, that's the enemy gate. And I can tell that's, a, that's an enemy or something. How do you tell in your mind what is your enemy? It really, you have to have some kind of revelation, don't you? To tell you, oh, if that voice is pushy, you know, question it. Because the angels are not all that pushy, really, you know? If it's really like, this has to happen immediately, or something like that. Just at least take that with a grain of salt. Think about that. If it's telling you to do something that's abusive or, or violent or vengeful, however f funny or clever it might be, you know, if it's something that you wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of, oh, hmm, you start to think about that. Like, oh, maybe that's, that's bad advice. Uh, if it's pleasure-based if it's predominantly about your pleasure, and especially if it's somebody else's expense, if it's lawless, if it's insane or whatever, like bit by bit, you start to be able to tell. Because we can't, we don't, we're all disoriented. In our, we don't know where the good gate is, the bad gate. But I don't know how to put this into words, but Swedenborg keeps emphasizing that that is a spiritual direction. You know, stuff that is pushy and insane and lawless and pleasure-based and, you know, and if you uh, don't do, it may be quite seductive to begin with, but if you don't do what it says, then it gets abusive, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, why not? Why don't you, you know, or whatever, it gets on your case about it. Uh, oh, that's, by definition, that's your, that's your enemy gate. That, that's how, bit by bit, we learn to tell what the enemy gate is. Another way to tell it, we're just in, you know, it's a wild experiment called life, isn't it? But if you do what it suggests that you do, where does it take you next? What's the next suggestion? Because sometimes it's like, boom, and then you say, whoa, but then, oh, and it takes you in a dark direction, you know what I mean? It feeds into some anger or, or it takes you into some negative place. That's another way to be able to tell. Where is that going? Which, which way is that going? You see, from hell's point of view, you're a gate for it. Hell wants a gate through you into the world, you know? That would be fun to be able to get into the world and, and do things. So hell is looking for a response out of you. Um, it's um, such a great thing that the Lord allows us gradually to be able to tell, oh, I think, I think that's the enemy. I think those are, I think that's, this is the enemy gate. So gradual, because you thought it was about pleasure, you thought it was helping you and everything like that, but eventually you start to realize, this is not, this didn't bless me, I followed this advice, 
I'm worse off now. You know? This was not actually helpful. It didn't help other people. It's not kindly. It's not according to the word and so forth. And bit by bit, you start to realize, and one of the last things that happened in a way is to realize, oh, those voices aren't me, you know? I don't even want those things that those voices want. You know, and I'm not literally telling you, some people do have literal voices in their heads. I'm just talking about your own thoughts, your own feelings, your impulses, and so on, that when you start to realize, wow, and you can have just a heavenly impulse, you've got two gates, you can have a heavenly impulse, you can have a hellish impulse, just side, it amazes me, uh, they can come in side by side, you can't tell just from your browsing history, you know, <laughs> like the next thing you look at could be bad, you know, uh, uh, good can follow right after bad, we really have to become kind of connoisseurs, you need to get that taste of, oh, I th this smacks of hell, you know, it's got that sort of hell reek to it, that it's, it's kind of nasty. I find a lot that what they tempt me with, as I've said before, is like stuff that's hilarious. You know, they know that, I would, I would, oh, that's really funny. So they will, they will say just awful, th you know, like if I said some of the things that come through my mind, unbelievable. But, um, and, and so I'll just, I'll just tell them, it's real funny, guys. You know, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know, but thank you for sharing. And, um, you know, and, uh, and it's a nice thought that they're just, they can't come in. You think they're right in because you can hear the voice. You know, you can hear that in your mind that is telling you to do this or that. But to realize, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And you realize bit by bit, it takes so long to realize they are not your friend. It seems like they were your friend because they were helping you with, like, here's pleasure or this would be fun or whatever. But they're not your friend. It's destructive. And if something happens to you that's bad as a result of their advice, they're killing themselves laughing. They don't care. They think it's hilarious, you know. They're, oh, so sorry we gave you bad advice, you know. You start to realize they are not coming from love. What's coming through that gate of your enemies is not coming from love. And the Word helps us to understand the more children we have, like the more, more we understand what love is, the more we understand what truth is, we're able to walk right up to them, talk to them in the gate. Because we we're not going to be seduced. We're not going to be fooled, you know, uh, because we can tell that, oh, yeah, you know, it sounds good, but actually there's self-centeredness in it or there's, you know, there's something in there that we don't want to go there. You gradually realize they're not you, that they don't love you, and that their advice is, is terrible. So it takes a very, very long time to go through all this. But I think eventually, especially good friends, if you realize that the, the lights have gone out, you know, like the sun set, it's your evening right now. We go through different states, don't we? Up and down, up and down. When you realize... If the Lord is not with you, sometimes it's literally physically in the evening or something that they, that they, they try to come at you and so forth. Uh, uh, just close that gate. Put the bar in there. You know what I mean? You can open it in the morning, but just say, you know, close that gate. And uh, the Lord helps us. Only the Lord really has the power to do that. And uh, once that gate is closed... Uh, Swedenborg says at one point that then you can really open the gate on, on the heaven side, you know, when you really get clear. Because sooner or later, we're going to have to pick a gate. 
It's bad news, but we're going to have to pick. We've got to close one or the other at some point. You can't have them both open forever. So we've got to pick one or the other to stop. If we get devoted to evil, then we want to stop that noise from heaven that keeps saying, be compassionate, have a conscience, you know, <laughs> get a hold of yourself. You know, stop that noise, you know, and, and open the hell gate. But if you're going the other way, it's just, I don't know, I got a relief when I was kind of picturing it before Bible study of like, just stop the noise, you know what I mean? Just shut the, you can't even hear them anymore. Stick the bar in. Whew. Okay, you're not dealing with that anymore. I think the reason that the judges sit there in the gate is that that's where you need the judge, right? You need the judgment to tell you, oh, this is from hell. This is part of the city. This is good. That's from heaven. This is the Lord. That's the word, you know. Uh, we, that, that's where the judges sit and do their judging. They don't do it somewhere else. There's another passage I forgot to read tonight that speaks of the gates of your land are wide open for your enemies, it says. Gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Let's not, let's not be in that, in that condition. Um, so if with the Lord's help, when we start to be able to discern it, it's a long process to get to the point of realizing there is a gate, those voices are bad, this is the enemy gate, and so on. And get to the point where you just sometimes, you're perfectly allowed to just shut that gate. And then the Lord is knocking on the door on the other side, isn't he? Just patiently knocking and waiting. And we open up that other, how do we do it? Starts with an R, forget what the word is. Repent. repent. Ah, thank you, friends. Yes. Almost forgot. Repent. And that allows the Lord to come into our, into our city and to dine with us. And we dine with the Lord. Um, and we eventually come into that state that's described in Revelation where this is just not an issue anymore. There is no night. The sun doesn't set. They just don't. They don't attack. We're so clear. We're not hooked anymore. You see, for a long time, we're kind of hooked by those voices. You know what I mean? Oh, they're saying something. Oh, yeah, you're right. That makes me so mad. Or, you know, yeah, that's right. You know, whatever. They're, they're, they give you that message and, you, and they, they, they hook you for a long time. They know where you live. That's why the Lord allows them to do it. But believe it or not, it may seem like sort of a hostile act to just close that gate as if you're saying, oh, you know, you don't exist to me or something like that. But actually, from the Lord's perspective, um, when, when they're allowed to influence us, it, it's not good. It's not good for them. It's not good for them. It's not good for us. It's not good for them. It's better when we, when we close that door. It's actually better for them when we close that door, when we have that clarity, you know, and close that door. It's actually better for them. I don't know if I can explain it. But it is, the Lord works it all out. It's actually better. It's, it's closer to a state of peace or order or something when we just close and not let them run riot, you know what I mean, and not be their vehicle in the world. It's better when we close that gate and, and open up that other one. So in conclusion, good friends, there are two gates to the city of our mind, particularly our higher mind, one toward hell and one toward heaven. Over time, it takes a lot of time, I think, we figure out which is which, and we close one of the gates. I hope we get the right one.
Would you join me in closing with a prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one God of heaven and earth, we thank you, Lord, for watching the city. We thank you for turning away the enemy and keeping that city safe. We pray for clarity, Lord, the spirit of judgment, so that we may know what those voices are, so that we can be a judge sitting in the gate, gathering that, oh, those voices are not so good. These ones are very positive. This is good over here. And help us, Lord, eventually to develop the willingness, break that connection with hell so it no longer hooks us, so that we can just close that gate, the gate of the enemies, and open the door to you. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we can close that gate.